uh, we are going to actually look at a little bit more than just that that was read. So I want you to be ready. So again, if you have your Bibles, phones, whatever you use, tablets, we're actually going to be looking at a portion of the end of chapter 5, and then we're going to look at a lot of chapter 6. So we got a lot to go over. Um, actually, as I was sitting back there uh, behind the drums, I was sitting there having these flashbacks of like, oh, anybody you know, from Revolution that used to, when it, before we merged, uh, they know it wouldn't be very, it would be pretty often that I could, we, I could preach an hour, easy. And I was sitting there like, I don't have an hour, but I got an hour's worth of stuff. Actually, there's probably a couple hours worth of stuff that we could go over here just in these, these verses that we're going to look at. So we're going to jump in and, and we're going to go through this. So uh, as we begin, I want us to kind of talk about this just for a moment. And I'm not going to explain this in great detail, uh, but I, I think it's significant with this because it'll help you maybe track where I'm going with this. When you read scripture, and, and especially like the entirety of scripture, but then you look at Jesus in his ministry, Jesus had this amazing way of inviting people into himself. So he would, he would invite people, he would draw people to himself, and a lot of times that's the part of Jesus' ministry that we like to latch on to because it's the really like warm and fuzzy stuff. Not, I, mean, I don't mean that in a negative way. I'm just saying it's the stuff that's like it draws you in. It's like, oh, I want that so bad. But then Jesus had this way of he would invite people in, and then the next thing Jesus would do is he'd lay down this major challenge that would make people be like, wait a minute, I didn't sign up for that. Like, I like the invitation, but then he would challenge people. In fact, if you look at Jesus' ministry based on current, like, modern views of church leadership, Jesus was not very effective if we were to judge him by modern uh, levels of leadership. Jesus would draw a bunch of people to himself, and then he would challenge them, and the next thing the scriptures say is a bunch of people would leave right? Uh, that is not how a lot of church leadership is about. A lot of church leadership today is trying to be like, how do you draw people in? How do you draw people in? And then there's always this like, be careful because you don't want to challenge people and, and kind of push them away. But if you notice by this, it's, it's, you have these quadrants. If you, know, if you have low invitation and, and low challenge, it's like a boring atmosphere. You have stressful, you have consumer driven, but then there's this discipling, this empowering this empowering section of high invitation and high challenge. Let me give you examples of this from Jesus. Jesus fed the 5,000, right? He drew them in and he gave them all this food to eat and he showed them how he could provide for them and he showed them how awesome and how powerful he is. And then the very next thing that Jesus does is he feeds all these people and then he says, if you do not eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no part in me. And, and, and the disciples were probably like, what is he doing? Because the thing that says next in Scripture, the people looked at Jesus and said, this is a hard teaching, and a bunch of them left, right? Um, Jesus said this in the very beginning when he called his disciples, when he called uh, Peter, come, follow me, invitation, right? What was the challenge? And I will make you fishers of men, right? There's invitation, but then there's challenge, Right? Notice when Jesus said, all you who are, are weak and heavy laden. He's like, come to me. Right? There's the invitation. Oh, that's awesome. We, we latch on to that, right? Where Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Right? There's the invitation. But what's the challenge? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Right? So Jesus always had invitation, and he always brought challenge. And that's what we see throughout the scripture. I bring this up 
Because when we get to this portion of Hebrews, up until now, there's been a lot of invitation. There's been a lot of, hey, we're inviting you. The author is inviting us to discover more about Jesus. He's inviting us to discover how awesome Jesus is, how he's superior, how through his humanity he can relate to us and how he's able to help us. He's giving us a lot of invitation. Again, Jesus is our high priest. He intercedes for us. It's all of this invitation. But now when we get into the last part of chapter 5 and we enter into chapter 6, we start getting challenged. It's, okay, you've been given all this information about Jesus and who he is and how awesome he is and everything that he does for us. Now the author is going to start challenging, what do you do with that? So I want us to be prepared this morning right? Uh, this was actually funny because as Matt and I were mapping this out, I, I, I kind of, I don't want to say I got stuck with this section. I kind of asked for it, but Matt was very quick to be like, you can have it, right? Because there's some stuff in, these ch- in this section we're going to look at that can be kind of difficult and hard. I want to prepare you this morning. If I do this right, and I do this the way I feel God wants us to do it, you're going to be challenged. And you should right now be That's awesome. Challenge me because I want to grow. I want to receive what Jesus has for me. I'm not just going to take all the invitation because I know that the challenge is what brings me deeper into my relationship with Christ. And it challenges me not to be complacent and to sit still. But I hope through challenge that there's also conviction. Right? The Holy Spirit leading in us and drawing us and calling us to go further and deeper. So just realize that as we begin. If we were going to sum up this section of Scripture with one verse, it would be this. Hebrews 6.12 says, We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who have through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Notice what the author is saying. We don't want you to be lazy. Do you know what that tells me? That tells me that it's very easy to be lazy in our Christian life. It's very easy to become lazy in our devotion to Christ and lazy in how we're living our lives and how we're chasing after him and how we're serving him. The author wouldn't be talking about this unless it was possible. And he's saying, listen, we love you so much. And because Jesus is so awesome and Jesus has done so much for us and Jesus is our high priest who's interceding for us and he's empowering us and he's doing all of this for us, don't be lazy. Right? Don't be lazy. And again, it's really easy to fall into the trap of being lazy. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at three challenges that are in this section of Scripture. There's more here, so realize that some of us that like to really dig into Scripture, you might think, hey, why are you skipping over this, or why are you not not talking about this? Let me just say this real quick. We will cover some more things in the podcast, the next podcast right? I can't go into great detail on some of the stuff that's in these chat, in this section of scripture, but realize that, that we'll go a little deeper into the podcast, but we're going to look at three overarching challenges, but then we're going to look at three uh, invitations just in this passage of scripture. The first one of this, and this is going to go back to chapter five a little bit, but the first challenge that the author lays out for us is guard yourself against being spiritually dull, Right? Guard yourself against being spiritually dull. In 5.11, the author says this. There is much more we would like to say about this, but it is difficult to explain, especially since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. Man, doesn't that make you feel good? 
like, you are awesome, dude. I just thank you for making me. It's, that's, that's encouraging and uplifting to read. You're reading this letter, and you're like on this high. Like, Jesus is my high priest. He is awesome. He's wonderful. And then they're reading this in the church, and he's like, hey, by the way, you're spiritually dull, and you don't seem to listen. And I was like, well, that sucks. But we have to understand this and, and apply this to ourselves. So think about this for a moment. When we talk about being spiritually dull, let me give you a couple ways that we can process this. One is we need to guard ourselves against being spiritually dull by being a person that lacks interest or excitement. Right? That's one way that we can be spiritually dull. Is we are a person that lacks interest and lacks excitement. Now think about this for a moment. Because I am sure that everybody in this room has something in your life that you definitely show interest and excitement about. Right? But for some reason... For some reason, in many churches and in the lives of many Christians, there doesn't seem to be a lot of interest and excitement when it comes to Jesus and the gospel. There's just kind of like, eh, yeah. I was thinking about this the other day, and I'm going to challenge this for a moment. And this is a challenge for me too. Don't get me wrong. When I say this, challenge for me too. We did some baptisms a few weeks ago. Now, we say as a church that baptism to us is the outward sign of a spiritual reality where a person has gone from death to life, and they are proclaiming to the world, I am a follower of Jesus 100% in on this, right? That's what we say. But then after a baptism, this is our response. Golf clap. That's so awesome. Scripture tells us that heaven explodes with celebration when a person comes to repentance. Amen. Golf clap. That's so awesome. I was thinking about this the other day. This was a challenge to me. God was sitting there like, David... How come when the greatest thing that will ever happen in your presence is a person being born again, and our response is, amen. That's so awesome. Where's the excitement in the church to a person that literally just was escaped? They, they've been rescued from the very pit of hell and they are now a child of God. Is it possible that we have allowed ourselves to become spiritually dull in some ways? And again, I'm challenging myself with this too because this happens. You know, I've grown up in church. I remember this very vividly. When I became a Christian, at least it's the moment that like, I, I understood salvation. I remember going to the altar. And I, remember, uh, <laughs> I remember it was weird at the time. But I look back on it saying, man, they made a deal out of that. I remember very vividly we were, what church we were in. I remember I was at the altar. I remember that I, I, I understood it, and I said, Jesus, I need you. The pastor knew that I just accepted Christ for the first time. You know what they made me do? They made me stand like right here, and everybody lined up to welcome me into the kingdom of God. Here I was, 12 years old. Thank you. This is weird. Thank you. This is really weird. Like, it was weird, but they made a big deal out of it. I'm not saying we need to start doing that. I'm just saying, they made a big deal out of it. But we fall into this spiritual dull attitude of, 
we just don't have a lot of excitement about the things that should excite us. <laughs> I mean, come on, think about this. I mean, people should come, hear me on this. I truly believe, and, and some, some people are like, this is uncomfortable, I get it. But shouldn't the lost world come into our church and see an excitement where they walk out of here going, that was weird. But man, that was awesome. I mean, think about this. And that's what he's saying. He's like, guard against being spiritually dull, right? But at the same time, it's not just lacking understanding or lacking excitement or interest, but it's also being slow to understand, right? The, the author is challenging, saying, hey, don't be slow to understand. Don't just play this, Ugh, I don't get it, so I'm just going to, who cares, right? It's like, he's, he's sitting there like, you just don't seem to listen. It's like you don't want to try to dig deeper. It's like you don't want to try to understand, is what he's challenging here. He's like, we should be people that say, I don't get it, but I want to get it, and I'm going to dig in until I get it, right? I'm going to dig in until I get it. When I was growing up, I'll give you an example of this kind of, maybe it'll help. When I was growing up, I remember, I, I like the movie. I'll still watch it now. Anybody remember the movie Man from Snowy River? Anybody remember this movie? Okay, if you didn't, it's a pretty good movie. I just remember Kurt Douglas was in this movie, and he was this old man that was hunting for gold. And he had been hunting for gold in this mine for decades. He's like, I'm not giving up until I find gold. And that was his attitude. And he was an old man, had one leg, hobbling around. But he's like, I'm going to dig until I find gold. Because he was committed, like, it's in there, I'm going to find it. I share that because that should be our attitude towards things we don't understand, especially when it comes to God's word. I don't get it. I don't understand it. I'm not there yet. But I know there's gold in those pages. I'm digging until I find it. I'm going to ask questions until I find it. I'm going to pray until I find it. Because I know there's something in there that I haven't discovered yet, and I'm going to keep going because even though I'm slow to understand, man, I'm not giving up because I'm not going to be spiritually dull. See, we don't have that attitude a lot of times in the church. We just take it like, eh, that's not my job to understand it. But he's saying, guard yourself to this. Don't become spiritually dull because he's like, I have a lot of other things I want to say about this. He's saying, there is truth that I want to give you that you don't have yet, but I can't give it to you yet because you're spiritually dull. And what he's saying is, stop it because you're missing out. That's what he's saying. Stop it because you're missing out. He's like, there's gold in those pages. Let's dig for it. Let's get excited. Let's start having interest in what God is doing right? But it's also, we're called to be spiritually alert, right? We're, we're called to have a, a spiritual alertness, not to become spiritually dull. One of the things, and this is a personal thing, one of the things that God's really challenged me on is um, this year especially, he's like, David, there's a lot of things that you had concern about with your kids, and you've done a horrible job in fighting for them in prayer. He's like, David, you stop being spiritually alert to your family and to what you needed to do. So these are some personal things that God challenges me with. That we're not supposed to be spiritually dull. We're supposed to be alert. We're supposed to be motivated and going deeper. We're supposed to fight against a spirit of complacency or a spirit of hardening our hearts. That was something Pastor Matt talked about. We're supposed to be fighting against a spirit of, of ignoring things or even trying to manipulate Scripture. Ultimately, we have the responsibility to fight against a spirit of apathy that wants to erode the church. And it's not just in the church. 
we have to fight a spirit of apathy even when it comes to being outside of the church. And when we stand and talk to our neighbors, I am telling you, if you don't already have this burned into your heart, I am going to ask and pray that we all do this, that Lord, if I don't have a deep desire for the well-being of my neighbor, then every time I look at them and I speak to them, let it burn deep within me that they're going to hell if they don't have Jesus. It's called apathy if you don't care that your neighbor's going to hell if they don't know Jesus. I've been there. I'm even there now with certain things because I'm not actively trying to reach my neighbors the way God's telling me to. Because it's easy to become spiritually dull and to fall into these traps, but we're supposed to guard against it. Guard against becoming spiritually dull. The second one, we are to challenge. Challenge number two, we need to commit to growing up. Okay? Commit to growing up. Right away in verse 1 of chapter 6, he says, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity. Right? Ultimately, what this is saying, what the author is saying is, we need to leave behind the beginning teachings of Jesus. Right? He's like, most people in the church, especially at this time, what he's saying, and this, is, this could be true for us too. He's like, listen, you have the beginning teachings about Jesus, but you need to leave those behind, and you need to move forward going deeper with your understanding of who Jesus is and, and what it means for you. And, and again, maturing and going further into the kingdom like we're called to. Okay? So let me explain this a little bit deeper and hopefully this understand. So one of the things I want us to understand with this about going on to committing to growing up is our redemption is just the beginning of the adventure. Right? Your salvation, my salvation, is just the beginning of the adventure. adventure. Uh, but, but am I saying Avenger? I think I want to go see Avengers. I haven't watched it for a while. Okay? Um, whatever. See, you can have joy in the church. Just laugh at the stupid stuff that comes out of our mouths. Um, but anyways, it's just the beginning. But many of us treat it like it's the end. Like, hey, I got saved. Great, now I'm just going to camp out until Jesus comes. Hey, I got saved. I'm going to camp out until I die and go to heaven. It's just the beginning. An example that makes sense to me with this, and hopefully it does for you, it's, it's the thing where... Um, I remember the first time that, that we got to go to, I got to take my kids, and we got to go, and we walk up to Ma Magic Kingdom at Disney World, right? And we're walking up to Magic Kingdom, never thought we'd be there, walking up to Magic Kingdom, I was like, man, this is awesome, and we're at the beginning, we're at the gate, and it's, you know, you go through the gate, and you enter in, and you're in the little town, if you've never been there, there's like the little town where all the shops are, all the shops that no normal person can shop at because everything's outrageously expensive, like, I don't need a diamond-crusted Mickey Mouse necklace that costs $5,000, right? That's not why I went to Disney World, but it's there. Um, I remember we went in there. My girls were like, ooh, I love this bag. We looked at price tags. We're like, no, let's go. Like, <laughs> we, like we'll eat sandwiches at the, at the hotel. <laughs> like, no. Um, but anyways, you walk into Magic Kingdom. And it's like, it's so awesome when you're first in there. It's like, oh, I've arrived. I'm in Magic Kingdom. But it would, like, it would be foolish of me to get into Magic Kingdom and then just sit down on the bench in the front and say, hey, I made it to Magic Kingdom. Because there's a whole kingdom for me to explore. 
So I'm like, let's go see what the kingdom So let's walk every place. Let's look at everything. Let's discover what Magic Kingdom has in store for us. The problem is, is most of us can treat our salvation or we can fall into this trap of treating our salvation as, hey, I'm in the kingdom, and then we just camp out and wait, and we don't explore the awesome kingdom that God has given to us to explore, to grow into, to experience. That's what the author here is saying. He's like, would you knock it off? You got in the gates. Leave behind the elementary teachings of Jesus. Go find out what else is out there when it comes to Jesus and what he has for you and what the kingdom has for you. Go explore and discover. Go deeper. See, some of us spend our whole lives actually doubting our salvation because we spend our whole lives camped out at the gate of the entrance where we can still see our old life. But if we would go deeper into the kingdom and get away from our old life the way God calls us to and grow up, we're not going to doubt our salvation because we don't even see that life anymore. See, a lot of us are doubting because we're camping out at the gate. you got to get away from the gate and go deeper. And we're supposed to grow. And we're supposed to leave, leave behind the elementary things. The second thing that I just want to point out, I don't have a, 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 a slide for this, but if you look at 5, 12 through 14, right, uh, the author starts talking about solid, you know, milk and, and solid food, and he's talking about infants and, and all of this stuff, and here's the next challenge I want to give you with this about growing up. What the author is basically saying is, church, we need to stop being oversized babies, Did you realize there's a lot of babies in the church? And I'm not pointing anybody out. I've been a baby. You can ask my wife. I can be a baby just like anybody else. But he's saying quit being oversized babies. Here's why I'm saying that. Because he's comparing. He's like, listen, you keep wanting milk. Think about this. He's basically saying quit acting like a baby that needs to be scooped up and bottle fed. He says, you should actually be teaching people yourself by now, but you keep expecting everybody to do everything for you because you've fallen into this trap of being an infant and being a baby when it comes to your faith. Let me give you just two things I want to challenge us with. And again, a challenge for me also, because I can fall into this trap just as easy as anybody else. I'm going to give you two examples of how we can act like babies in the church versus mature believers. The first one is this. It's when you have a church full of people that like to be easily offended. Did you know that happens in the church? We look for reasons to be offended. I mean, I've, I've fallen into this trap before. I've had this happen before. Where I've literally had people angry at me. I had this happen once when we were in Missouri when I was pastoring there. I noticed that somebody, we were a smaller congregation, but I noticed somebody wasn't in church on Sunday. So I, I said something to them actually on Facebook. I was on Facebook. They popped up. And I was like, oh, they weren't in church on Sunday. So I said something to them on Facebook. I was like, hey, really miss seeing you at church today. Hope everything is going well, blah, blah, blah. I'm not even talking. I'm sitting there like Sunday afternoon. I'm resting. I'm relaxing. I'm watching TV. And all of a sudden, my phone goes off. I look. Another person at the church messages me and says, what a jerk I am because I told this person I missed them, but they weren't in church either. So I didn't say, why didn't I say it to them? And I'm like, are you kidding me? Can I just be honest with you? That's a baby. That's a baby reaction. Right? Listen, the world is going to hell. That's not important. I was like, really? I mean, I, I literally looked at my wife and are you, are you kidding me? Like, I'm being 
like condemned because I didn't, I failed to say this to them. I've had moments where people, you're walking down the street and somebody from the church, you walk past them. I'm gonna, I'm gonna just say this for everybody here right now. I don't pay attention to anything, right? I don't. If I ever walk past you and don't say nothing to you, don't take it personally. I don't pay attention. But I've had people in all my lives in church, all the times I've been in church, hey, what I do to you? What are you talking about? You didn't wave at me. I didn't wave at you. I drove by you, and you didn't wave. Where? On the highway. We were going 60 miles an hour past each other. Well, it offends me. Get over it. I mean, I'm sorry. Think about what the church could accomplish if we stopped looking for reasons to be offended. Churches have split over the dumbest things. I don't like the color of the carpet. I was in a church when I was growing up that a fight broke out because they moved a table. I'm not joking. They moved a table. And that was worthy to be argued about. Do you really think Jesus is up in heaven worried about the things that we worry about? No. He's worried about the people that don't know him. That's what he's worried about. He's worried about the people here right now that are struggling with sins and, and hurts and, and habits and things that are holding you back. That's what he's worried about. But we get offended way too easy because we're still on milk and not solid food. The second thing I want to say is also, and it kind of goes with this, but again, in churches we fall into, we just seek for, we have immature priorities, right? We're striving for things that really don't matter. I think one of the best things we all can do, including myself, is when we start really chasing after stuff in the church, one of the best questions we could ask is, Jesus, do you care about this? And if we can legitimately look at each other and say, Jesus really doesn't care, all right, let's move on. Right? Let's just move on. If Jesus doesn't care, let's just move on. So again, the author is challenging us. He's saying, listen, grow up. He's saying that to me. David, grow up. Quit finding reasons to get upset. Quit finding reasons to be offended. And if you are offended, David, or your feelings are hurt, or something, you have a problem with something, then be mature and go talk to the person that you're offended by. And I'm hitting hard on this because we fall into this trap way too much. And when I say we, I'm just saying people in general. Here, if you're offended or you're hurt, I, hey, I get it, but go talk about it. That's maturity. You know what a baby does? It goes and cries in the corner. That's what a baby does. And I'm, I've been a baby. Don't get me wrong. I can be a baby just as best. Ask my wife. I can pout. Anybody saw my Facebook? I was pouting last night doing concessions at a gymnastics meet. She loved every minute of it. Third challenge. They also challenge us to press on towards better things. Um, see, I really need two weeks to do this passage because I haven't even got to the invitations yet. Um, pressing on towards the better things. So verses 4 through 8 is uh, a really hard portion of Scripture. This is where a lot of people have some different views, and we're gonna, we'll tackle this in the, in the podcast, so realize that. Uh, we'll go a little bit deeper in that, and I don't want to do it this morning. But in verse 4 it says, It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened right, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age, if they fall away to be brought back to repentance, 
because to their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over, all over again and are subjecting him to public disgrace. In the podcast, we'll tackle some of the different views of this. Some of the different views of, is this talking about people losing their salvation? Is this talking about, what is this really talking about? Um, and we'll, we'll, we'll dig into that. I'm not doing that this morning. All I want to do this morning is this. Can we all agree by looking at those verses that that is a situation that none of us want to even have close to how we're living our lives? Like, I don't even want to come close to this. Right? I mean, we can debate what it really means, but in and of itself, I don't want to, that to even come close to being a situation that is true for my life. Okay? So what I want to challenge us with about pressing on towards the better things is this. If that is not something like, if you hear those verses and that makes you a little nervous, hear me. Because if you're, if you're in the will of God and you're chasing after Jesus and you're going deeper in your faith, that shouldn't even concern you. But if you can hear those words and say, hmm, that makes me a little nervous. What is the author really saying? Is that me? Hear me on this as we kind of go into this. Here's the thing. If we fail to grow up in our faith, we are choosing to position ourselves in a place where it is easy to fall down in our faith. Did you hear me that on that? Think about that. If I'm refusing to grow up in my faith, I'm choosing to position myself in the position, or putting myself in the position where it's easier for me to fall down in my faith. In fact, if we attempt to live somewhere between our old life and our new life, we're actually going to eventually fall back into our old life. You hear that? If I try to play between the two lives, a little bit in the world, a little bit in Jesus, sooner or later, the world's going to win. Hear that? And, and I'm not going to mince words. There's no, maybe, until you choose to give it all up and move into Jesus, sooner or later, the world's going to win. And that doesn't mean it's because the world is more powerful than Jesus. It means that I don't have the submission and the, the, the surrendering heart that God calls me to, to go deeper with him. All right, let me give you some scriptures to kind of think about. Here's a long one. But, G, you know, first John says this. John says this. He's like, do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. I mean, I'm not going to read the rest of it, just right there is this very heavy statement of John. John's like, listen, if you're going to try to play between the two worlds, the kingdom and the world, sooner or later you're going to fall back into the world because you can't love the Father and love the world at the same time. That's what's happening here when they're talking about these people in Hebrews. It's like, listen, they tasted the good things of God. They discovered the Holy Spirit. They discovered what God has for them. They've discovered the truth of Jesus, but they never went any deeper. It was very easy to fall away because you can't play between the two worlds. You can't play in the world Monday through Saturday and then expect Jesus in the kingdom on Sunday. Okay? Jesus even said this. Anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Right? So, so when we're talking about falling away, I'm going to challenge us that if we're trying to hold on to the things of the world, we can't embrace the things of the kingdom because our arms are already full with the junk of the world. And that's what the Hebrews writer is challenging us with. Because hear me with this really important, because this really struck me as I was studying this. If we're drifting in the river of life, right? If you look at life as a river, if we're drifting in the river of life instead of rowing against the current of sin, all we're going to do is drift backwards. 
Right? So if life, if you look at life, and says that's why the, the author is challenging us. You gotta engage, you gotta dig deeper, you gotta grow, you gotta advance, you gotta do all these things. You you've learned who Jesus is. He's the high priest, he saved us, he's redeemed us, he's interceding for us. He's saying, press into that. Drive yourself deeper into that because if you don't and you get complacent, you're not moving forward anymore. You're just going backwards. In fact, Proverbs talks about this where it says, you know, a man can't play with fire because sooner or later he's going to burn his lap. And that's how a lot of people treat their salvation and they treat their relationship with Jesus is they're not, we don't press in and we're playing with things and sooner or later we're going to get burned. And that's what the, the writer of Hebrews is saying. He's like, listen, don't do that because it's like you're crucifying Jesus all over again. You can't praise Jesus on Sunday and sin against him on Monday and think he's pleased. Because all we're doing is we're crucifying Jesus all over again. We're basically saying your crucifixion means nothing to me. Because I'm going to do whatever I want, but I'm going to try to proclaim that I'm going to live out the goodness of what you give to me. Going with this one, it says, we are confident of better things in your case, things that accompany salvation. So again, press on towards the better things. So let's take real quick, let's look at the better things. Right? We're going to jump into three better things. I know it's like three. Oh my goodness. We'll go quick because they're all really close together. We're going to look at the three better things that Jesus or that God talks about or the writer talks about through, uh, here in uh, chapter 6. First is this. Here's the invitation. The first invitation is there's a promise. Right? Right away in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13, the author says, when God made his promise, and he starts talking about Abraham. We're not going to focus on Abraham's promise, but what I want to give you, here's some promises that God's given us when it comes to our salvation. Right? Through Jesus Christ, we have the right to become children of God. Through Jesus Christ, we can be forgiven and cleansed from all unrighteousness. Through Jesus Christ, if I confess and believe, I will be saved. Through Jesus, I can come and he will give me rest. I am a new creation. I have a new heart and a new spirit, and there is no condemnation. These are promises that Scripture gives to us. These are promises that God says, through Jesus Christ, our high priest, these are your promises. That's the invitation. But then the writer goes on and says, here's a second invitation. God just didn't promise them. He gave them at an oath. He said, because God wanted to make the unchangeable nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs, to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. So think about what an oath is. When I go, if I ever have to go to court and I testify, what do they make me do? They make me take an oath. And I swear on what? The Bible, something greater than me. I swear by God. Do you swear by God? Do you swear as a witness of someone greater than you that this is true? And the author says there is no one greater than God, so God swore it by an oath of himself. These promises are true. And he said, I swear them by myself. This is the second invitation that God gives us to hold on to. Not just the promises, but also the fact he took it one step further and he says, I'm going to confirm these promises with an oath. You can trust these. I will not lie. These are true. Which leads us to the last invitation. Because of the promises and because of the oath, we have hope. Right? The author goes on and he starts talking about our hope. He says, we have this hope as an anchor for our souls. I want you to picture this for a moment. Think about an anchor. In your mind, you're probably seeing a ship with an anchor that goes down deep 
And it holds the ship secure and firm where it's at. Here's the beauty about the anchor that is our hope. The anchor of Jesus does not go down to the depths. It stretches upward into the Holy of Holies. When you put your faith in the promises of Jesus, you are anchored to the very Holy of Holies, the holiest place in all of creation. It's not even part of creation when you really stop and think about this. The holiest place that has ever existed is the throne room of God, the very presence of the Father. And it tells us by a promise and by, a, by an oath that I have the hope that is an anchor securing me to the throne of grace right here and now. What that means is, right here and now, you and I that have put our faith in Jesus, we are connected to the Holy of Holies. I'm connected right now to the Father in heaven because my hope entered in behind the curtain and my hope is Jesus Christ who is seated right now with the Father and I'm connected to them through my faith in Jesus. But here's the cool part. That's, that's cool, but here's the really awesome part. My hope is not just that I'm connected to the Holy of Holies right here and now. My hope, this anchor, is also telling me that God is drawing me to himself. Because it says, Jesus, as my forerunner, entered into the presence of the Father behind the curtain. The word forerunner means he went in first, preparing the, preparing the path for others to follow. My hope is not just that I'm connected to the Father here and now. My hope is that someday he's going to bring me behind the curtain in the heavenlies, in the holy of holies. He's going to bring me to himself. This is the invitation that we are given in Hebrews saying, listen, not just are you connected to the Holy of Holies, not just that, but I'm drawing you into it. It is an anchor and I am pulling you to myself. And there will come a day where you're going to enter into the most holy place and the Father of all creation is going to receive you as one of his own for all eternity. That's the hope that we're given is Jesus as our high priest. Now as we close, this is what we're going to do. We're going to do things just a little bit different, change this morning. We're not going to close with a song that I want us to sing together. I want us to, we're going to have a, a song play. I'm going to have a, a, and I want us to enter into a time of prayer and, and, and preparation and, and response. Right? Because here's the next thing that the author in Hebrew says. He talks about, he says, those that have fled to take hold of this anchor, right? Those who have fled to take hold of Jesus. What he is saying here is he's comparing this to something in the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, when God created Israel, he created cities that were called cities of refuge. A city of refuge was if you committed manslaughter... Right? If you committed this sin and it, and it was manslaughter, it wasn't flat out murder, but you, can, you committed and you took the life of someone else, the family had the right. They were going to come and avenge the blood of their loved one. That was, that was the way it worked back then. Like, you did this, we're going to come kill you. You're guilty, we're taking you out. 
God created these cities of refuge that people, if something like this happened, they could flee to the city of refuge. And when they entered the city of refuge, if it was seen that they did not blatantly commit murder, they were welcomed to stay in the city of refuge. And while they were in that city, they were guarded and protected. There was no, nobody could avenge against them for their sins. And they could stay there as long as the high priest was alive. This, this reference of this is what the author is saying. He's like, listen, we are guilty. All of us are guilty. But God has given us a city of refuge, and that is Jesus. And he's saying, flee to the city of refuge. Take hold of the refuge that is Jesus Christ. Find the freedom that is yours in the invitation. The freedom of your sin, the freedom of hurts, the freedom of all the things that try to hold you back, all the things that try to destroy your life, God is saying, I have given you a refuge, and that is my son. So as we end and have this song play, all I'm going to ask is just enter into a time of prayer, and if you need to respond to God in any of the challenges, like, God, I'm failed to grow up. I need to start growing up. Like, Lord, I'm, I've been spiritually dull. I need to take care of that. I want you to flee to the refuge. Flee to the hope that is yours in Jesus Christ. That's what I want us to do, is just spend some time in prayer, doing whatever business God is stirring in your heart, in prayer, as the song plays, and then we'll close.